Hello, this is Gary Van Wormerdam. This is the Awareness and Consciousness podcast from PathwayToHappiness.com. This podcast is on persistence and resistance. In this session, I take time to interview one of my clients, Jamie, who's I know from personal coaching uh, over a few months and from a trip uh, in Mexico that she was on last year. And she, I thought, was a prime example of persistence in this work. That sometimes making changes in our belief systems doesn't happen in a pop. And so I wanted to share her experience here to help some people manage expectations. Because if we think that it's going to be a, a pop one-hour session, sometimes uh, we're set up for disappointment. And we're set up for feeling like a failure. When... My experience is sometimes it it's, takes a certain number of hours. And it takes time to integrate the change. And that's where persistence comes in. Particularly in Jamie's case, she's got a lot of structures of very strong beliefs she's built up over a long period of time that she's working to dismantle. At the same time, you'll notice in the interview that while some things take a while and she chips away at them, other things fell apart with ease, with grace, without any effort at all. And some things that she thought she would never even bother to address, they were just too big, faded away, became non-issues. So there's a there's an unpredictability to the the way things will change. But if you don't do anything different, you can be pretty certain that things will stay the same. What is interesting is that she's doing it. Whether it's fast or slow, the point is she's doing it. She's found some tools that are successful for her. The other interesting piece to note from the interview is the amount of resistance that she finds within herself, within her belief system, every step of the way and what that looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like at times. So that wasn't something that I, uh, I was intent on putting in this audio, but it's a theme throughout the interview and her process. So I wanted to share this interview conversation I had with Jamie so that you had a different example of what a different person's process is like and how different people go about it. And there may be pieces you identify with and there may be pieces you don't identify with and that's fine. But perhaps somewhere in here is a nugget that's useful that you can take away to help with your own process of change and being happier in your life. Okay, Jamie. So I think I should just start by talking to how I got to be so miserable <laughs> and then go from there. Yes, the beginning. So I think I had a somewhat typical upbringing in the sense that I was born to sort of a lower middle class family, all Irish. We were all Irish. My dad was um, alcoholic. My mom was probably fairly addicted to pills. It was the 60s. That was what people did. Wasn't There wasn't therapy. There wasn't all those 
options that people had then. Did you describe that as typical? Is that what you, word you used a little bit ago? It's typical for where I was from, okay. you know, suburb of Chicago. All my parents' friends, very similar. The men all drank a lot. The women cleaned it up. Everybody was miserable. Mm-hmm. That was how I perceived it. And I, it was interesting because my mom had my sister, and then she had a lot of trouble having more children. So she had me 13 years later. She was 45. That was pretty unusual in that mm-hmm. time to have a child that late. Um, and I think she was pretty happy to have me. But for whatever reason, um, there was a movie that was really popular at that time. It was called The Bad Seed. It's about this little girl that um, sets her house on fire and, and does all these things. There, there were a lot of devil movies really popular then, and kids got possessed and <laughs> running around and you know, creating mayhem. And for whatever reason, my mother, you know, that really stuck with her. And she was always calling me the bad seed. And then it caught on. My sister got a hold of it. And it was something that was just constantly repeated. I was, I was the problem. It was the usual thing in the sense that we never, we never talked about the fact that my dad was always drunk and, and acting like a child. And my mother was just so upset all the time about it. And we never discussed that I was the problem. And... You it know, was just mom, you were you were just told you were the problem. I was told I was the problem, and that, I mean you know later you read you read all your pop culture things you realize that's what people do so they don't have to talk about their own issues is you know they can make something else the problem. But when you're a kid you don't know that. You um, you you because of some of our previous phone calls way back I remember you telling a story going on vacation it was the big dream vacation for your mom and whatever happened it was like the littlest of things. She she looked over to the you in the back seat and said you ruined everything or something to that effect. Yes, every vacation, every holiday, I heard that. <sighs> okay, that was a, that was kind of the the storyline. Okay, keep going. Thanks. But uh, somewhere in the, this point, I don't at that time. I don't know if they still do this. They um, were testing kids for their IQs. Uh, so mine was 157, mm-hmm. and there's nothing in my parents' background that could prepare them for this because <laughs> <laughs> this was not something they, I think, expected. And it was uh, they were told I should be I should be put into a gifted school, um, different programs. And I was also a very talented musician, so I had these things they were trying to reconcile. So I was either told that I was the bad seed ruining everything or I was told that I was extraordinarily talented and I had I should be doing huge things you know to bring to bring glory to the family so I was told one or the other all the time and there wasn't really ever a time when we were just hanging out as a family having a good time there were just all kinds of expectations all the time so I had these two things that were warring inside of me all the time growing up, which was I was either awful and ruining everything or I was going to have this amazing future. And that's kind of how my life played out. It was me trying to reconcile these tensions within me. So actually, when when did you become aware of these tensions within you? These two different personalities or images of yourself? Um after I worked with you <laughs> <laughs> This is archetype themes at war that <laughs> gone unnoticed like 
Well, like the I, stuff going on in the house when you were a child. Right. I mean, prior to that, I ha- I was always mystified by why was it that whenever I would do something, have an achievement, I would then go out and ruin it. And what what was that? Why would I do that? I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just so puzzling. And therapy didn't solve that question. There wasn't anything that I learned in therapy that was any different than what I already knew. Mm-hmm. So. Just I had be, I did become a professional musician and gave about ninety to one hundred and twenty concerts a year. I was on the stage. I was a concert artist, achieved a great deal, but um, was utterly miserable. And actually thought this this weekend we're recording this right after Whitney Houston passed. And I know that people have a hard time when celebrities destroy themselves because they have everything, but I completely understand. And I know that being on the stage doesn't alleviate everything that you're feeling when you're off, when you're not on the stage. And it seemed like the more I achieved, the more it reinforced all the negative things, or seemed to. They seemed to feed on each other. The more, the more you felt the, the other side rear up and, and the emotion of that, yeah. Yeah. So at, at a certain point, I, I'd had a couple years of therapy and that wasn't helping and I tried all different things and I, I fortunately I don't have an addictive personality so it wasn't I, I don't drink or I've never done drugs so it wasn't like I was going to turn to that um, but I, I did something very extreme I, I left my career and I decided that I wanted to go to a top business school and I just, I just made up my mind I was going to do that. And four months later, I was accepted into a top 10 business school program. And I hadn't taken a math class since high school, um, which, you know, was amazing. But in an, it was, in a way, an act of self-destruction because I'm not temperamentally suited to business. I, and I ended up um, getting a very enviable job. A lot of people would be really want that job, and I hated it. Out of the, out of that MBA program. Out of the MBA program. Hmm? Yeah. Uh, and finally had to leave the corporate world because it wasn't. It was also making me so miserable. But it was around the time that I was working a job um, at a very large corporation, and that was I was so miserable. And I googled happiness, and found your site, and did the program both this to be. This is when I began to ruin everything. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I could blame you now. Um, because I, took, I was doing the course, and I've been doing the course about eight months and decided to do some coaching with you. Mm-hmm. And then also I, I have gone to Mexico on the, the spiritual intensive uh, with you. Mm-hmm. So I've that done last, that as well. Last October, yeah. Last October, I did that. And really found when I was working with you that it was um, awful because uh, (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) found that um, I I became aware of all these illusions and so that at that point I became conscious of of the tensions that that I was talking about and I was actually able to articulate them and define them and and understand what what was what those themes were that were at war with me that just just being successful was going to trigger the, the bad seed illusion and that and that it was it was just going to be much that much harder to be successful because the the bad seed was like well we can't be how can we be successful we're the bad seed 
Mm-hmm. So it kind of kept me in this in this very stagnant place in my life. And so you you're sort of um not compromising about that. I mean you weren't really willing to let me off the hook as far as not as far as continuing to believe things that weren't true. Um so that was really painful and a part of my waking up and um you tolerated my resentment very well, I will say. So <laughs> Okay, because uh we have to tell that story, because um, it's going to fit here. Sure. My, your, your resentment, because you, you, we had a phone call and it started one day. You know, it's like a really a part of my mind. You, you were saying doesn't want to talk to you, Gary. It really actually hates you. Um. And I said, Oh, well, let's have a talk with that part of the mind. Will you share that story? That bit of <laughs> resistance you discovered. Sure. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, we had we had had a, a nice a nice session a nice hour session, and it was towards the end of the session. And um, you would give it you would generally give me assignments um, at the end of each session, and they were generally assignments that I didn't want to complete. Um, and so I found this part of me just feeling extremely resentful and and really angry with you. And I normally would just suppress it and not even tell you, but I. This time I thought, well, you know, maybe he, maybe he won't like it, but I'm just going to say it. So I, I told you there was this part, and the part felt like a petulant child, and it, it was very real, vivid. And I, what, it, what I realized was this part of me had, had formulated a plan. There was actually a plan for my life. And the plan was uh, hatched in music school, and something had not gone the way I wanted it to. And... I said to myself, I'm going to be angry and resentful forever. And I had no memory of that, having told myself that, but it was an agreement I'd made with myself, which was still in force. And you were sort of bringing it out, and that part of me was really mad about it. And realizing that was a shock, a real shock to me, and... I was horrified because here I'd been operating by this agreement for 25 years and having no idea. You'd made this agreement. You're 19 years old. Mm-hmm. I was 19. And then, and then forgotten it. And then forgotten it. You, you said, you know, because I asked, well, I, you'd said something. Well, Gary, you're, you're messing with this plan. And I said, well, what is the plan? You said to be angry and disappointed and resentful forever. Mm-hmm. And, uh. There was a long pause, and you said, that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing now. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't laughing then. <laughs> and I continue to, to ruin the plan, I guess. Uh, uh, yeah, you're good at that. <laughs> <laughs> the plan to be angry and disappointed forever. Good work if I can get it. I can tell you. Good work if I can get it. Yeah, I mean it's 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 great. It's it's a great moment. It's an awful moment because at that point you realize you kind of look at the wreckage of your life that that agreement made, and you realize you're you're going to have to pick it up, and you're going to have to rebuild some things. It was mm-hmm. not a whole lot of fun. The it's a. It's a realization, anybody really seriously doing this work, of personal responsibility, of 
wow, this is this is this unconscious way I've been defining things and building my life from it, and it had consequences that I was completely unaware of, uh, and yet responsible for. So it's a, it comes to that awakening moment where you say, yeah, I'm responsible for the results, even though I, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And, um, that, that's a, a big turning point because while the responsibility doesn't feel good, there's a lot of emotion and there's remorse. If you're if you're fortunate, you can stay into a state of acceptance about it and not go into self-judgment about it. With some practice, you can keep that mindset. But with that responsibility, uh, a there's a big expansion in consciousness, and b there's an expansion in a sense of one's power that says, "Wow, if I created this unconsciously, look at my power. I have a chance to create something else." Mm-hmm. And and that's a big takeaway from from that kind of awakening. Yeah, it took maybe six more months to get to the place where I was like feeling powerful in a positive sense. Mm-hmm. But you know, I have gotten there. You had another experience on the phone, um, a conversation I remember you, you just shared one day about your mother. Oh, um. About this process and things changing. It was very early on that you and I were working together, and it, I had told you, I had a few caveats right up front, and one of them was, well, you know, I'm never going to forgive my mother for for my anything that happened in the past. I mean, she's passed away now. Both my parents have passed away, so I don't have them physically to deal with, but they're still there. And I said to you, I'm I'm not going to forgive her for anything. So let's just get out that out of the way and you know don't don't trot out your you know, you have to forgive your mother thing <laughs> because that's not gonna happen. Let's just let's just take that off the table. Um, <clears throat> Which so we, fit with the let's be angry forever agenda. So. Which we didn't know about, at the, which I didn't know about at the time, but yeah. And so we worked on other things, but I was on the phone with you and I realized about a month into it that I'd just sort of forgiven my mother. That was fine. And it was a non-issue. It wasn't something that we had to work through or talk about. It wasn't this huge trauma. It was just gone. And I can't explain how that happened. I, to this day, I can't say... I mean, that was, I just consider that grace and a blessing and, you know, it's great. I never, I mean, there are thing, beliefs that I have from her that I still have to work through, but, but as far as the forgiveness, that, that's not, not an issue at all. I wouldn't say that I didn't wish things had been different. I do, but yeah. I do have a strong sense of what she really couldn't have done anything differently because like myself she was operating under agreements that she didn't even know about mm-hmm. and she she had moments i mean she did you 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 learn to see the moments that she tried very hard to to do the right thing mm-hmm. but 
it, it, it's not even conceptual. I, I can't even conceptualize it. It's, it's just, it's just grace. Okay. How would you characterize this work? Because uh, I, I, you know, you're, I, you have assignments, you have these realizations, things change. How would you explain it to someone, say, in that in a, in one or two minute version, say, this is what I do? I practice awareness and presence, but in a very specific way, um, looking for the beliefs that are causing me great unhappiness and when I finding and then finding the beliefs and if I can I I in much as as much as I can try to establish new beliefs or new habits to replace the old ones but it's mostly the the idea of, of seeking out these beliefs and seeing them for what mm -hmm. they are that they're not true mm -hmm. it's as simple as that but there, but there's definitely a skill set to doing it, and it's not something that I do intuitively. It's something I had to learn to do um, through our work together. Yeah, and I, I, I think in in some ways it's the skills are almost and, and the application is almost counterintuitive because it goes against what this set of agreements we are carrying says to do. Like this part of our mind says, no, don't do this. Gary's going to ruin everything. Going to ruin this plan. So there's a there's a kind of a resistance. Uh, our mind has uh, we're, we're doing in a way that by dismantling this belief system the opposite of what our mind want, would want and so there's a real counterintuitive quality it's not something we're going to figure out on our own right and I learned actually to use that the more resentful and um, hostile I would feel towards you that <laughs> that was actually a signal for me that oh there's something there's something pretty big here because I'm feeling so much dislike of Gary <laughs> that that there must be something quite big here because if it, if it wasn't anything I wouldn't you know I would have been much more neutral toward you hmm. so I yeah. learned to use that you, know. you you it was it was an awareness you had that okay I'm okay with Gary but there's a whole part of my mind and my belief system that is really feels attention about this right I learned yeah. to, to have an awareness of that as a separate structure yeah and actually that's a little scary because you know, you grow up trying to think, well, I'm going to trust my gut. I'm going to trust my intuition. But that's not, your gut's off. It's not, it, it's off, right? It's not calibrated, right, from, because of all the beliefs. Like, you, my gut, I, I think, I might think my gut's telling me, wait a minute, this guy, Gary's really, really making me uncomfortable. But that wasn't a true, a true course. You know what I mean? It was, um. Yeah, you feel the emotion of it, but it's not your integrity speaking to you. It's your belief system generating emotion that you then feel. Right. And that belief system is filled with some lies and agenda of its own that's that's not on your behalf. So yeah, that it really really goes against what our gut says in that regard. But our belief system goes against our own emotional integrity. So it does. And I actually this is a a side, a kind of a fun side thing that also happened. So we'd been working together for I think a few months, mm -hmm. and and I, um, my whole life I've had a problem, you know, with having eating sugar, eating too much sugar, always just struggling with it. Like every night, you know, do I eat dessert? Do I not eat dessert? And completely losing the urge to eat any sugar. And I haven't for 
uh, two years now. Haven't had any sugar and don't don't miss it. it was that something you consciously wanted to change or? Um, I wanted to change it, but it wasn't on my agenda to change it as part of our work. It, it, that's another thing that just one day woke up. Don't don't feel like eating it anymore. I was very happy, very happy about that. It wasn't just sugar, though. I think your your diet, the way you eat, and the relationship with food changed. It has. Yeah. It has changed. It's um. Yeah, it's not. So, it's not really such an effort to eat healthy. It's just something I I do for myself. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you uh, was your persistence. You started the. How long ago? August of 2009 in with the course. I mean, excuse me, I was, December 2009 with the course, and August 2010, we started working together. Okay. So, uh, oh, it's February 2012 now, so a little over two years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, you are not one of those people that I would make, you know, I think you would agree, you would not be the poster child of, oh, take this course and life changes magically, uh, and, and it's the 90-day wonder story. No. Uh, you, <laughs> you banged it out. You uh, struggled. Yes. Every day. Um, I... Took, I was taking the course, and I'm, I'm just the kind of person that if I, I, I did something with the course every day. I was very persistent. Um, it was it was definitely consistent work, and I felt like nothing was happening. And even when we started working together, you every week you'd be like, "How are you?" And I'd say, "I'm miserable." And just week after week after week, I'd say, I'm miserable, I'm miserable, I'm miserable. And I only got more miserable when I started finding out about all these agreements. And I'm not, it was hard. It was really hard. Why did you continue? (laughs) (laughs) What were you thinking? (laughs) I guess I just thought that there ha- there has to come an end to all these these nasty agreements that I've been living by and just because I keep finding more it, you know there that it, even if there isn't an end to it at least I ha- I know the truth and that was the most important t- thing to me is to live this honest life and uh, and be free and be free from those so maybe I'd never be be happy which was sort of my ostensible goal but I would be aware and Somehow that that had great meaning and power for me, and it, it was worth it, even even though I was miserable. You did. Did you notice moments of change or moments of like feeling good, or did that come much later? Yeah, I had no moments of feeling, <laughs> no moments of feeling good. I or like the first came, year. <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely it would come in chunks. Um, it, and now the chunks come faster. What there, what would come in chunks? There would be moments of peace where, and I I can actually give a good example of mm-hmm. um, I had gone to Mexico last October, mm-hmm. and 
had some moments there. I, I was not I not expecting any kind of experience, and I didn't really have one in, in terms of a powerful emotional catharsis. There was nothing like that. Um, I just figured I would go and slog it out like I always do, and it would be miserable, and, and it was. And I... <laughs> Um, I, I go, this is so not the commercial for my work, but keep going. <laughs> Please edit away. Um, so I went home and for two weeks or so I was, I was maintaining, I was doing some of the exercises I'd learned in Mexico. Everything was just as usual. And I went to hell. I mean, really went to hell, went way down. Worst, worst. What, what does hell mean? What does hell mean? Really just. An absolute despair. And and a despair where there's there's darkness and there's no there's no window there's no door you're you're just down there. Mm-hmm. It was a deep depression, and it had no real form. That was there weren't even real thoughts around it. There wasn't anything I could grab onto or try to figure out or it, nothing. Just just this gloom. But not that long after I went to hell, I found this incredible peace around it. And peace was um, a piece of acceptance, which is, it was in your course, it's early in your course, and I struggled with acceptance, I resisted it a lot, and I didn't understand it. So I have a very typical Western view about acceptance, and I, I remember telling you I didn't understand, I didn't understand that part of that module, and and so it's something I learned. I, you have to experience it because your mind isn't, you're not going to be able to conceptualize acceptance. Just, you can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. So I'm in hell, not out of hell at all, but there's this peace around it. And I'm like, oh, it was like finding myself on a map for the first time in my life. It, the map is the United States and I'm in the middle of the country. It was like my whole life, I, I didn't know where I was. I was wandering around. Suddenly, I can locate myself. I'm in hell. Oh, and I could totally accept that. I and I can't. I couldn't explain it to you. It's. I was completely peaceful in that. That was a huge. That was a chunk. There was still. There was still all these kind of agreements. That, that you had from your life that you hadn't addressed yet. That were causing you misery. Those had. A lot of those hadn't changed yet. But you were at peace with that. Yes. Instead of fighting them this time. Right. Still had no idea how I'm going to get out of hell, but somehow completely peaceful. And you had some, you'd asked some people in Mexico, there was this question, are you going to make it? And I had so much, you know, unconscious resistance around that, that question. And I, I, of course, I never want to admit this, these things to myself. So I, instead of just dealing with that, grappling with that, I, would just, I was really sarcastic with you on the trip. I was like, hey, Gary, are you going to make it? Yeah, I was just totally hateful about it, just what I do when I'm afraid. I get really hostile and, you know, kind of torturing you. <laughs> We're trying. And you would just laugh like you're laughing now. But then I was able to, once I was really in hell and accepting that, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it, and that really scares me, and that's where I am. Okay, now I can locate myself there on the map of, are you going to make it? Don't know. It's the first time I answered it honestly instead of with all this BS. Mm -hmm. 
So that was a breakthrough because I stayed in hell for a while. And it was a few weeks, and I don't think I reached out to you at all, or maybe once at that point. I just sort of decided to just hang out in hell and not not try to really conceptualize it. And it was the hang, first hang out in this emo this emotional field, this misery. Right. But but somewhat kind of accepting and in peace at peace about it. Yes. And what was really cool was the ability, this is the first time in my life, the ability to let my mind just run, but not yeah, not figure, not trying to figure it out, because just kind of giving into it, completely giving into it, which I would have thought would have made it, made it so much worse. And it, it didn't. It, I came out of hell. What, you, have to ex, you have to explain that, giving into it. Does that mean allowing yourself to feel all those emotions? Right. Just, allow it, just allowing myself to feel them and not, not trying to think think about why even or what the beliefs were nothing no thinking just okay yeah for but you but you at that point having done this work could allow yourself to feel all those emotions without it running a story in your mind and and it's spiraling though and that is a very important skill to have if you're going to feel all that emotion otherwise you can make it a lot worse and spiral down right i think they're probably Underneath all of it, there I must have built up through all this work a sense of safety that I, I could just let it all wash over me. And, and I, I think I must have known it wasn't just going to destroy me or carry me away. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's part of what one develops by practicing the exercises is, is a sense, wow, here's a lot of emotion. Yeah, it's just emotion. I could feel all this. Let's, let's just be with it and be accepting of it. Mm-hmm. And, and now you're the speed of change accelerates because that's a much faster way to do the work, but it's one needs skills over their attention in order to do that. Um, So you hung out in it. Yes. I did. And after that, I, I felt like that was a little bit kind of going over the hump or getting to the top of the mountain where now I'm not, as I, I'm not, I don't know where I am in the process because I don't know what making it really even means anymore, but I'm over a big hump and I have moments of peace around things. And I, when I have big revelations about my beliefs, and I'm much, much more able to handle them now than I was before, where I was sort of defenseless against these, these agreements I didn't even know I had. So now I, I, I have a sort of repertoire of skills that I use to deal with that when it comes. And I, I'm not going to lie and say that I like it or that, you know, it's, it's not really tough, but it, it's definitely doable now. And, and I get bigger chunks like that where I'll get, it's mostly getting that peace around something. And that's when it starts to dissolve is when I just don't have to conceptualize it anymore. And I, and I have sort of an island of peace that I can sit in while, I, while I'm there with it. That's, that's kind of how the process is working for me now. You've had a, a, a couple breakthroughs since then. Yes. That it's kind of accelerated bigger things what we were those things you'd share sure um well one of the things what i what i like to say is that i i think that the course and oh everything i've done the course working with you going to mexico and i would definitely you know go to mexico again um but i, I 
those things set the stage so I can use other tools as well now. Mm-hmm. And one of the tools that I have been using is uh, a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, mm-hmm. um, which I would recommend for anyone, not just artists. Uh, it's, it's a book about people who get blocked as artists and the traumatic things that happen to them and they can't create anymore. But we're all creators, and it applies to all of us. So I, I, I like the book, and I, I have wanted to do it, the book since I was 25 and um, always procrastinated. And what I found out, what I found out is procrastination is just fear that's masked. So I, I felt this desire and need to do start the book. So I did over um, I have about eight weeks into the course now. It's 12 weeks. And one of the assignments is to do what they call morning pages, which is a form of journaling. And I'm already used to doing journaling from your course. Um, and you have people do the journaling in a very specific way. And it's it was integral to my progress. I, a big part of the course, I would say. So I, I've already used the, to the doing way, The way I assign the journaling. The way you assign the journaling. It's, it helps to get detachment from all those beliefs instead of getting more attached to them. Yeah. to get yes. detached. And um, so the, one of the assignments in the artist's way is to look at your beliefs about God. And it's not something I've ever wanted to do before. And what I realized, one of my deep beliefs is, um, well, I, this is kind of funny because I, I got obsessed when we went to Mexico because, Mex, you know, um, Teo, where we went, has kind of a bad rap because there's this whole <laughs> reputation that there's human sacrifice, right? And for some reason, this was just hilarious to me. Like, I brought it up at every opportunity. Constantly, you know, just making jokes about it. And, of course, I should have realized that I was so obsessed with this with this hilarity that it probably was touching something. And so when I started to do my explorations about God, I realized, what does God mean to me? And for me, God is just a bludgeon that my parents and other adults use to try to get you to do what they want which they call right or moral or good or proper behavior. All those things is just really people trying to get you to do what they want you to do and using God as the big club. Mm-hmm. So I realized that and then realizing that I totally believe in human sacrifice, mine, and that my idea of God is that he wants you to be miserable and sacrifice your whole life and that if you don't, for if you one second lighten up and feel a little happiness, God is going to be right there to strike you down with unawful things will happen to you. It's really deep belief. This, this was one of those this whole structure of agreements you were carrying around your whole life. Yes. And when the I fear of, that, fear of God striking you down if you really felt any joy because feeling that joy is not part of the rules. It's not part of the rules, and God. Moreover, God demands human sacrifice. He, I, have this, I had that actual belief. Like God demands human sacrifice one way or the other, whether it be your spirit, your body, your soul, whatever. You know, and to me that meant being miserable all the time. And once I realized that it was... You were, you were a living sacrifice. I was a living sacrifice. Your happiness was sacrificed every moment yes. for misery. Exactly. So I'm still, that I realized that about a month ago, so I'm still working that out a little bit because I'm aware of it. That's one of these where I'm aware of it now, but it, it hasn't just fallen apart because I see it. 
but a lot of other little beliefs fell apart because I saw it. Little neuroses that I used to have, little things I would do to make myself uncomfortable or miserable, I have let go of. For instance? Um, for instance, uh, one of the assignments from the artist way is to have an artist date. So you take yourself out by yourself every week and do something enjoyable. Could never do that before. I was like, I have to be working all the time. I, or, I, I gave you some kind of assignment like that. You resisted to all I hell. I totally ignored you. <laughs> <laughs> Another reason to hate me. Another it was yes, it was. I wasn't going to say that, <laughs> but yes. So now I do that, and I don't, and I'm still unwilling. But when I go out, I do enjoy them, and it's going to be that process of doing those things I don't want to do, but I, I understand why I don't want to do them now. So I, I do them, and now starting to make make peace with my view of God and I guess completely reconstruct what I think about a creator or a spirit or believing in it, definitely, but going to be completely different. And, um, yeah, I... I that's that was huge and that was one of those where once once I realized that I already have kind of a tool set around it so I I I kind of knew that I could move forward with it I didn't have to go to hell again <laughs> you know I didn't have to just completely lay down for it I, it was it was okay more of an aha experience where you're like okay here it is now I know what to do with it right yeah. right yeah so so things can progress faster now because they just I kind of went through that Okay, everything's just going to overwhelm me, and now I now I'm a little bit more uh, powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no there's no fear of being overwhelmed in this process at this point. Right, right. I think I I have I'm not you know I have the territory, definitely. Yeah. I I think the mind is so powerful and. I mean, we all know that, but now I, I've, I've experienced how the mind can destroy your life. And I'm just starting now to do visualization. I do affirmations. Trying to engage the power of my mind to build the life I want. But this time it's conscious. It's not, and I'm sure there's still beliefs kind of rolling around there, but I, I work on it every day. So now I'm also working on the proactive, more positive aspect as well. I, I would... So it's no doubt a lot easier, just even possible, given that you don't have these huge structures of beliefs that says, no, that'll get me to be punished by God and what have you, that would resist, you know, using your mind in an enjoyable, happy way or creative way. This is the first that I've heard you mention any kind of religious or, or God history in your background we we never touched on that topic because I was yeah go ahead I I was terrified of it (laughs) I was terrified to talk about it because I because of that human sacrifice thing that was lurking or like even if I even bring that up God's gonna like beat me down right not the human sacrifice mythology in Mexico but the the actual one you were oh yes going on in your mind yeah totally Mexico uh, Mexico was completely Mexico was unconditional love which also terrifies me as you know. <laughs> so Mexico was not what I expected. To be honest, I would have been a lot more comfortable to go down to Mexico and human sacrifice, and that would have been fine. I would have been right that, at home. That, but that, no. fit, that fit your belief system and paradigm, and you say, oh, yeah, this makes sense. 
because this is what I have going in my mind. Yeah, I mean, you can I can tell about my dream in Mexico, and um, I have a little pyramid sitting on my desk here to remind me of it every day. But I I, I was in Mexico and I was quite sarcastic and hostile, um, which is where I live sometimes, and I'm very comfortable. It's kind of a, a, a defensive mechanism. Maybe. It's my defense mechanism yeah. when it, that I want to I don't want to feel the fear, and I don't want to deal with it. So it, or it's the easy. happiness. Or the happy, exactly. <laughs> so I, I go down, and we're standing in the morning. We would stand in a circle and talk about experiences or what we wanted to share. So I just thought, well, I'll just share. So I was like, wow, I'm really surprised. There's people here, they're pretty smart, and they're nice. <laughs> so I, after that, everyone just, I don't know what they thought. Um, but... I think they appreciate the honesty. <laughs> why it's why you're so honest there with near strangers at the time, but that honesty to like what I really believe has taken so long. I'm not sure. It's it's now translating over, but we're getting there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I was, but I was really surprised because I, I you know I was trying to be as hostile as possible, <laughs> and which everyone just thought was hilariously funny. <laughs> it wasn't. And I was really resisting a lot of the processes that we did down in Mexico. And I remember, and you would say every morning, did anyone have any dreams or anything that came to them? And one night I had a dream and I, I, I saw the big pyramid of the sun, which is huge, so much bigger than you expect it to be. And it's beautiful. That's absolutely gorgeous. And it's, it's very well preserved. But we didn't in Mexico. You always were like, "Well, we're not going to we're not going to talk about the history of of the place. We're not, you know, we're not we're not here as tourists." So I had this dream yeah, that to explain that it's like it's about your individual process, your individual mythology, like what you've unraveled these beliefs you've carried around. This has been your mythology to be the the one who ruins everything and to be the the great talent. This is your individual mythology, and this is what is worth spending time on changing. It's not about studying somebody else's culture and their mythology. It's like this is this trap of this hell we live in made by all these agreements. This is this is what I spend time addressing and then going from there to like, okay now having recovered all this power, what do you want to go create in your life now? So that's why that's what I spend time on. Yeah, that's and it's profound actually. But my, my big joke there was I'm going to get it done in one. <laughs> I actually think I did, Gary. I mean, huh? Got to say. but You're doing all right. I, I guess, right? You're <laughs> doing all right. There was a little darkness and you came back, but that's just part of the process. It's like you, didn't, you didn't get to it while you were there. You waited until you got home. Pretty much. Pretty much. And if I go, if I go back, it's going to be super cool because it's, you know, it's another level which is awesome. But I, I had this dream, and I dreamed that the Pyramid of the Sun was became sort of personified. And it reminded me of Saturday Night Live many years ago with John Belushi and Gilda Radner. They had the killer Christmas trees. And, you know, you, were, you would open the door, or you'd be in your house wrapping presents, and the, the Christmas tree would sort of creep up on you, and it'd go, dun-dun, dun-dun. And it would get closer and closer until it finally, like, jumped on John Belushi and attacked him and dragged him off. And so I had this dream that the pyramid was doing the same thing to me. It was following me. It was, it was every time I would try to move away, it would get closer, and I would move away, and it would get a little closer, and it was kind of creeping up on me. And I ha it was unconditional love that was trying to get closer and closer to me, and I wasn't letting it. I was like, get away from me. 
And I felt like that, after I had that dream, I felt like that the whole week. Like, everywhere we went in, in Teo, there was this big pyramid, and I felt like it was waiting. And it was just waiting to love me, and I was I was hating it, or trying to. <laughs> and I, that defined the week for me. Um, so I don't even know why I started telling this, except that it was a big thing for me because I had never um, felt real unconditional love from a person. Uh, not to say you haven't tried, but, um, <laughs> you know, you don't. And, I, and here it was. I, I do feel it now, even thinking about it. And it was there. And I have, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that that experience in its own way was real. I, it was a real experience. When you say, what was the real experience? The... There is something there. There is something there in tail. There was um, some kind of love. And for me, that, I think, helped me with my breakthrough later about God, because there was, I, I don't think of God in the traditional organized religion way. It's a spirit. That spirit, I think, is what I felt from the pyramid. Mm-hmm. And it, it was very, obviously it was very healing for me. Very. Even though you kept running from it the whole time. I'm still running. <laughs> you ain't running that fast anymore. But not as fast. You know, it, it's it's a little faster. It's catching up. You're really different today <laughs> than two years ago. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you know it. I do know it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I thought about I've thought about different ways to express talk about my experience, and I I could compare it to the things that didn't work, but then I realized like, what's the point of that? Really, it, it this is working, and I and it's very exciting because I don't know where it's going. But my most recent sort of revelation because um, I've also taken up meditation. And I will say, I, I have worked on this ruthlessly. I just feel I, it takes a lot of my time, the journaling, um, you know, the, the exercises, the meditation, it takes a lot of the time. And one of the old beliefs that I have to get over is, well, you're not worth that. You know, you should be doing something more worthy. But then it's like, well, I don't know what that is. And so I'm just going to keep doing this, even if I'm even if I'm not worth it. I'm just going to keep doing it every day until the day. Well, hopefully one day I'll wake up and think I am worth it. <laughs> and you know, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'll, I'll say one of your attributes, as much as you um, rebel, <laughs> your your rebellion here you use it as an attribute. It's uh, it's an attribute. You rebel against this story that says I'm not worth it, and you say, uh, "Yeah, I'm going to defy that. I'm going to do this anyways." Yeah. <laughs> and and so this, you know, while there's a little kid that kind of is defiant and screaming no, you know, at least you're screaming no at these other things now, um, and that's a on your own behalf instead of screaming no to me all the time. <laughs> that is a great insight. Thank you. Yeah. These, these 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 ways that we are destructive sometimes, like being a rebel, can can be used on our own behalf. That is awesome. It's just where do we direct it? Well, I, I have in meditation sometimes now. Well, that was another 
um, what I said I wanted to get done in Mexico was to have um, take a conscious breath. And what I meant by that was take take a breath without all the voices in my head just screaming. That was your big goal, your hope there. That was my big goal. Yeah. Um, and I had a moment of that. And then I came back and went to hell, and it took a long time. But there, in the last couple weeks, and a couple times in my meditation, I've had these moments where I, the voices are still there, they're very loud, they're they're incessant, and yet just this complete acceptance of it, like, let it come, let it flow, it's here, whatever's here is okay. And that's very exciting, because I thought, wow, if I could live even part of my life that way, like, what's next? What's just going to evolve out of this moment, rather than the constant planning, rationalizing, thinking, uh, wow, that, that's exciting. So, that that is you mentioned the artist way as a as giving you some some tools and practices what else have you drawn on that's been useful for you um i if if people are interested in meditation i i recommend john cabot zinn's tape series which is you can get used it's very cheap um and he wrote wherever you go there you are and the full catastrophe were bestsellers and those are great books on um, meditation and being present. I think they're great for Westerners, really practical. Mm -hmm. um, I have in my day watched a lot of Eckhart Tolle TV. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I find him to be um, not as practical but more inspirational. He's sort of like, you know, a living master and he's had this awakening. And so he's inspirational. It's like, well, that's probably like... That's probably making it, if you're going to say that. <laughs> that probably is it. Um, and then the artist way has been really helpful to me. I also, um, a colleague in Mexico recommended a book by Ingrid Bacci, B-A-C-C-I, Effortless Living. And she talks a lot about visualizing the attributes you want. So visualizing peace or confidence, um, trying to shape your life and, and trying to imagining the day going in, a, in the way you'd like it to go. Um, that helped me to get a little bit of a skill set with visualization. I, so I recommend that as well. I like that. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, uh, there's a book called Focusing by Eugene Gendlin, which I like quite a bit. It's a little bit more from the traditional therapy approach, but uh, with a twist of being kind of present with your emotions in a non-judgmental way. So I found that that book, Focusing, um, was helpful. So those are kind of, that's kind of my entire tool set at the moment. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. Um, anything else we need to cover? Oh, man. <laughs> that was a lot, actually. <laughs> we covered a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're good and... um. Yes, I'm excited. Cool. Cool. Uh, Thanks for letting me share all this, Gary. Thank you for taking the time and going out into the uh, the new land, <laughs> <laughs> to the new world. Yeah. It coming is. Back, coming back with a story of adventure. <laughs> um, you know, I asked that question a couple things just as I reflect here in the conversation. Uh, are you going to make it? There was a gentleman at a workshop, and I 
friend asked me to come assist, and so I, I was kind of like playing the Simon Says ringmaster, and I was like a group of people, and they said, you know, kind of challenge them, test their commitment. And so this one guy came up, and I said, okay, are you, you going to make it? And he said, uh, yes. And I said, go to the end of the line. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> and... Uh, you know, the next person would come up and I'd ask questions and, you know, if I kind of like measure their commitment and go on. And then uh, those I sent back to you in the line, they'd come back around. So he comes up again and I'm like, are you going to make it? He's like, more confidently, more emphatically, yes. I'm like, roll my eyes, I'm like, go to, go to the end of the line. So he had already gone through a couple times and uh, now he was the only one left. <laughs> <laughs> at a certain point, and he comes back, and he, uh, I said, are you going to make it? And he, he hesitated, and he thought about it. He knew what the wrong answer was. The wrong answer was yes, that's not going to get him forward. And he's like, no. I said, go to the end of the line. <laughs> he's like, there's nobody in line. I am the line. What are you doing? I was like, go to, go to the end of the line. So he goes back. He comes up again, and he's like, is he going to ask that same question? I hope he doesn't ask the same question. So I asked the same question. I said, are you going to make it? There was a long pause because he knows not to say yes and he's not going to say no. He's like, doesn't know what to do. And uh, he said, can I ask a question? I said, of course. He said, what do you mean by make it? I said, I don't mean anything. I'm just wondering what you're going to do with it. And uh, And then we had a long conversation about what it meant. And... And I, I get into this one of the free audios in the course. It's like, you, you don't know how long you're going to live. You don't know if you're going to be around next week. This is an honest sense of our own mentality. Um, so this idea of like you, you have to win or, or accomplish something that our ego sets up. And a fear of not making it that our, that our kind of victim perspective sets up these different parts of our belief system of the one that's going to ruin everything and the one that's going to achieve something great. You know, they play this game with us. Are we going to make it or not make it? And that the only way to win is to not play that game. And, uh, and so you, you found a way out of that trap. And you say, I don't care. I don't care. Uh, I'm not going to let those two sides of these, these kind of mythological versions of myself control that question and, and me play a pawn to it. And the way out is like, I don't care, I'm going forward. This is, this is about freedom and it's about embracing the truth and honesty. It's about unraveling the lies so I can live in that truth and love. And, uh, that's a very different paradigm. Well, you know, it's it's not the Olympics, and I, you know, I think we that question. If you have a podcast about that, about asking the wrong questions, the right questions, and like as soon as you ask a question like that, we automatically go to what we know, which is like, you know, the Olympics. Like, oh, I'm going to win the gold medal, and it, it that's very limiting. You don't even realize it because you're kind of by and you're defining it in a limited way by saying you're going to make it. I mean, why not just let it be open? I and then it's, pod, then it's exciting. I, yeah, I think the podcast is maybe on Hidden Assumptions. Is that the one? Um, it's on Hidden Assumptions. 
Assumptions yes, are just sometimes within questions. Yeah, you have that question, and you're, and now you're bound, you're you're boxed in by the boundaries of that question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is about being free of that those boundaries. Okay, Jamie. That's uh, that's. Thank you very much. Any questions for me? You know, I guess I do have a question, but it's it wasn't. I, I the question is I. I don't know. I mean, does it make sense to you when I say it went now my mind, this is my mind coming in actually, but it, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, it was like a really long time and nothing was happening. <laughs> like, is that normal? <laughs> you can tell it's my mind now, but. Yeah, it's, uh, well, normal, every, everybody's process is different. Um, what is, there, there were things happening, okay, but. One of the measurements our kind of mind has is about it's looking for some emotional lightning strike of, of change, like ah, you know, like feeling the angels singing, and, um, and and so that's kind of how the the voices in our head are going to measure progress. But that's not how progress happens in in the in the say in the course for a lot of people. The speeds will vary. Yeah. Um, in, in your case, it, it took longer because you could break a set of agreements. Like you can break down this. Um, you can forgive your mother. You for, uh, issues, you know, left and right. You still have this this structure of you know, if I feel joy, God's going to come beat me down. Right. Right. So so there's still a paradigm that exists you haven't gotten to yet. So emotionally, you're still within that paradigm, so you don't notice all the progress that's been made. Right, okay. Yeah. Okay. The progress that's been made in that preparation is, you know, over that time, you developed uh, an incredible will over your attention to stay in that observer point of view so that when you, you like you said, came back from Mexico and you felt all this emotion of misery, you're like, I'm not going to a victim perspective about this. I'm not going to a judgmental perspective about this. Well, what am I going to do? Well, okay, I'll go to an accepting perspective about this. And therein was this peace. Mm-hmm. Okay, in this midst, as you could look at your belief system in your life and say, well, this stuff is hell. And I'm not of it, is, is the essential shift. So the developing of of that sense of self and presence was going on all along. Okay. Yeah. The 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 every little shift in point of view that you would do, say, in a writing assignment, helped build your strength of will. Help build this new perspective. Every agreement that you broke along the way, you may not notice the the change at the time. Uh, but but that was uh, cords that were cut, walls that fell down. You still were looking at another wall behind it. Mm-hmm. But and and sometimes in that process, that the change seems somewhat slow. You don't notice how it feels different. Uh, day to day, mm-hmm. because the changes over time. But 
when you look at it. This is why I tell people, don't bother measuring change in in day-to-day, week-to-week, even month-to-month, because you can have ups and downs within that cycle. You know, you come back from Mexico, you have a you have this big, deep process of emotion. And it looks like things are going backwards. Right. But I, I having, you know, traveled the path back and forth a little bit, go, you know, I'm over there going... I, I hear you describe your state of mind while in that pool of emotion. And I'm like, okay, I recognize the quality of the process is there. I don't care what the stuff is around her. Mm-hmm. Your state of mind, your presence, your beingness with it. I'm like, this is great. Because I know if you you have that kind of sense of acceptance and presence, it's just time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just time. So I don't look at like, okay, how does someone feel? What emotion day to day? I was like, okay, what's the quality of their process? Mm-hmm. Does their process have integrity? Because I know these other emotional cycles will happen to whether there are agreements that have to fall apart or whether there are challenges that, that will strengthen our will. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those that's not how I measure. I measure what's the integrity of the process. I see. Yeah. So all of all of that integrity of the process, you know, that, that took time to build. And in the beginning, just to have a shift in point of view, to get out of a judgment and victim perspective, just for moments, is, it's a big deal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so people people don't look at it as, as, as a big deal or as a way to measure change. But I look at it, I was like, Phew. Cool. Do that for five. Do that for one second. Do then do that for four seconds, and do it for ten seconds, mm. and do it repeatedly during the day. Now you're 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 breaking up entire patterns that you used to live in. Right. Uh, so I look at that and go, yeah, I'll take it for one and four seconds at the time for a person in the beginning, mm. mm-hmm. and and then you know get it a couple times a day, and then get it ten or twenty times a day. I'm like, okay. Uh, that that's how I measure progress. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually begun to. This will shock you. Uh, I, I've actually begun to sort of work on it with my SUV issue, <laughs> because I realize that if, if peace is a value for me, if that's somewhere I want to be, I can't feel peace if I'm swearing at a guy in an SUV. I just, I can't. I can't have both. Mm-hmm. That's reality. Mm-hmm. I can be right where I can be happy as you. So it it's getting better. It's definitely getting better. It's, that story's changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, do I do I want to be screaming the whole time I'm in the car? You know, and some days I say yes. Some days I'm like, yeah, I do. Okay, okay, but at least it's at least it's a choice, right? At least I made a choice. Hmm. So most of the time now I'm like, nah, I really don't. <laughs> really, <laughs> most... really don't want to be screaming at this guy. Like what? <laughs> Whereas uh, when we first talked, that wasn't a choice. It was not a choice, which is yeah. huge. Yeah. 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 You spent, you know, you spent your time justifying and defending your your point of view. And uh, so, yeah, it's a very different dream now. So this is Gary Van Warmerdam. And if you find yourself 
in your life struggling with issues such as Jamie's in terms of a lot of negative thoughts and maybe this provides some notion that there's a way out. There's a possibility for change. And if someone else can do it, you can do it. Um, one of the points that our mind might make is, well, she's really smart. She can figure this out. I don't know. That's a, that's always an advantage. Actually, I've, I've dealt with some very smart people and they are just as smart and clever about winding themselves up in stories, justifying their opinions, justifying their fears, justifying their victimizations and why they should be angry and why they should not change a belief. You know, all our intelligence can be used in the direction of suffering or it can be used in the direction of being skeptical of those stories and stepping back from them and and finding reasons why they're not true. So it's not a matter of intelligence one way or another that's going to guide you to be happier. It's a matter of how you use that intelligence. Is it used by your ego against you, against your own happiness? Or are you going to put it to work on your own behalf, on your own emotional behalf? So to get more clarity on that and what goes on in your mind and dismantling these illusions that run around in our head, the beliefs or otherwise I call agreements that we've made in our life about things, about ourselves, about the world, for steps on identifying and dismantling those beliefs and agreements. You can try out the free sessions in the self-mastery series at my website, pathwaytohappiness.com. You can also order my book, MindWorks, which is a guide to identifying and changing these negative thoughts, beliefs, and emotional reactions. The book MindWorks is available at your online retailers like Kindle, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, in both print copy and ebook form. This is Gary Van Wormerdam from PathwayToHappiness.com. This podcast has been about resistance and persistence.